I'm Arlen Hamilton, and this is Your First Million. I'm a venture capitalist. I started my fund Backstage Capital from the ground up while I was on food stamps. I have now invested in more than 100 companies led by women, people of color, and LGBT founders. After having raised more than $10 million, people often ask me how I did it. I created this podcast so I could tell you my story and so that together we could go on a journey and speak with some of the most successful people in the world from all backgrounds and walks of life to learn how they got their first million. And who knows, maybe I'll reach my first million in personal capital while I'm recording this series. There's only one way to find out. Let's go. Welcome to the very first episode of the second season of Your First Million, and welcome to the new year and the new decade. So excited to be able to say all of that, (laughs) to welcome you to it. I hope you've had an amazing holiday, whether you were working or not, whether you were with family or, or not. I hope it's been a good time for you. If you listen to the Arlen's Note episode over Christmas, over the holiday season, Welcome back, and it was great to hang out with you. If you missed anything from the first season, it's all there. It's uh, back in the archives, and we did a top 10 episode just a few days ago, so you can go check out of the 44 or so episodes, which ones made the top 10. I am just elated to be in your presence again and to be to, to welcome you to this. I feel like we're, we're family, we're friends, if you if you're a listener, you're you're you roll with me, and and I appreciate that so much. And I hope that this year for you, 2020, and any any year beyond, I, I hope that it's a a new beginning for a lot of us. And I know that it's tough times out there, <laughs> to say the least. But I hope that you take care of yourself. We take care of each other. And we we roll into 2020 with this energy. I've already seen it online. There's this like 2020 is going to be my year and there's no stopping me. I, I love that energy that I'm seeing because there's something something impactful about that 2020 that people I, uh, it's a rare year. So people are really ready for it. If you're not ready for it, listen to a few episodes of your first million and get a little bit inspired and let's go together. Let's get there together. I'm so, so looking forward to it. All right. So this episode, Jamila Jamil. Okay. What can we say about Jamila? My goodness. Well, you may know Jamila from the TV show, The Good Place, which is where I first learned about her. Um, I think I very the very first time I learned about Jamila actually was a couple of years ago. I spoke at a girl boss rally. They had a rally, and Sophia invited me to speak there. And I saw Jamila speak there for the first time with my homegirl Diane, who has been rolling with me for years, and I've been rolling with her for years. She now works with me, and we were there together. And she was like, "You got to check out Jamila. She's so incredible." And so uh, I just love what she had to say. And I then started watching uh, The Good Place this year. Earlier this year as well, I spoke at uh, Makers. And Makers is this really awesome event that happens in Southern California each year. And they present, they kind of um, highlight several women. And I was one of the people they highlighted. Uh, There's a video online from Makers. You can check it out. I really like it. And she spoke there too. So I spoke there with Aisha Tyler. She spoke there and she gave a speech. And I remember her speech was so cool. It was so good. Look it up on YouTube. It's like she's talking about how to talk to your young son about women and about men and about sex and about growing into who the man they're going to be. And it's just incredible. It's just she frames things in a way that's so interesting. So she's hilarious. Obviously, she's on Good Place. She's a comedian. She's an actress. She's a she started out as a host of a of a of a show in England. So multifaceted. Also a writer. We'll you'll learn more about that in this episode. And now she's just kind of dedicated her life to activism and standing up for the underdog. 
and um, takes a takes a lot of heat for it online. And so I wanted to ask her about that. And I really, you know, this is your first million. So I wanted to really focus on the money part and the attention part because it's millions of dollars and it's millions of, of followers. So that's what we talk about in this episode. But I have to say, she picked some really cool uh, podcasts to be on, including this one. Thank you. So if you are, if you listen to this podcast and you're super interested in what she has to say, there are several other episodes of other podcasts that she's been on in the last like two years that are really informative about her and dive deeper into certain aspects of her life that we didn't touch on here because we, I on purpose, wanted to be focused on some of the ins and outs of money and, and how we talk about money and, and the realities of being a, um, a celebrity and having making money and where some of that money has to go to to keep up that lifestyle, even if you're not balling out of control sort of thing. I promise not to say balling out of control too much because <laughs> obviously <laughs> uh, it's not my forte. But I will say just a quick note that this episode has a couple of naughty words in it. I'll say that naughty because she's British. A couple of naughty words in it, a little bit more so than has been in the past. So if you're if you're someone who likes to listen to this podcast with family, just probably want to listen to it first and then see if, if you want to share it. It's a, a, a fantastic episode. It's wholesome as, as AF. And I certainly have cussed in the past, but there's a couple of times where it's it may be not safe for work, if you know what I mean. Okay. So I'm just, again, so, so happy that you're here. Thank you for the first season of your first million. Thank you for rolling with me all year last year. Um, please go back and listen to episodes that you may have missed. I listened to, I just listened to two nights ago, the the Nightingales episode. Um, it's a couple in Toronto. And I listened to their episode because I was curious about a certain topic about leadership. And I remember that they talked about leadership. So I listened to the whole thing as an observer again, uh, months later after I did the interview and I got so many gems from it. And it's just like, I'm so proud that this podcast has so much of that to offer that. And it's such a wealth of information that I can still go back and find different episodes that give me give me life and give me new uh, information that I can that I can use for different times. So definitely don't think of, OK, if this episode came out six months ago, it's not fresh. It's not for me. It's just a matter of. These are chapters. These are chapters in the same book, if you if you really think about it. And people are giving us gem after gem after gem. And every single episode can be listened to with a notebook. All right. Thanks, everyone. Be sure to share this episode and others with your friends, your family, your coworkers, if you think they'd appreciate it. And continue letting me know. Come come to me online. On uh, Twitter, Instagram, Arlen was here. A-R-L-A-N was here. Let me know what you're thinking of these episodes. Uh, I'm, I'm hearing from you all day and I love it. So keep that going into the new year, into the new decade. And let's do 2020 together. All right. Without further ado, I'm going to take you back right into the interview with Jamila Jamil. Cannot wait to hear your feedback. Whether you're saying the sky is blue or you're daring to say, could the sky be green on, on another mm -hmm. dimension, you're getting all of this feedback. Feedback. And you get so much like love. Yes. Is that what's countering? Is that what's allowing you to like take the other stuff? How do you sift through that? Um, I think I've been on Twitter a long time and I've been kind of some form of well-known since I was about 22, which was 11 years ago, but that was just in England. Coming to America and hitting the mainstream was a big shock. And I went from 100,000 followers to a million followers in a matter of months, which happened very fast. It's a lot of people, it's a lot of ears and eyes on you. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think I've had a bit of time to get used to it. But also the whole point for me as an activist is that it's not really about me. And so it's none of my business what other people think about 
what I say or if they like me or not. I'm not here to be likable. I've been under so much pressure as a woman, especially as a brown woman, to be liked by everyone and be appeasing, implicating that I just don't think it's important for me anymore. It's not a priority. All I care about is change. So the fact that I'm able to move a global policy on Facebook and Instagram, great change. We're working at the moment with other giant platforms to create similar changes with them. Talk about that. Um, Well, I managed to make it impossible for minors, uh, anyone under the age of 18, to see cosmetic surgery uh, promo or any kind of detox or diet products being sold to them. And if you are, uh, and regardless of your age, if someone is selling you something that has a radical claim that isn't backed by the FDA, then it would say something like, you know, those kind of melt 30 pounds in 21 days. It's a false claim. No product can do that. And then that can also be reported and taken down. So we've made social media a safer space for young people, especially those who are vulnerable to eating disorders. And then I'm also, I managed to get a bill into the Senate, two bills into the Senate. One is against Photoshop. So it's a tax incentive for companies that don't use Photoshop to promote their products. And two is to get the eating sort of rhetoric and the diet and detox products and uh, muscle building products off the shelves and off the internet for people under the age of 18. Now those bills are in, are they in They're effect? being passed around at the moment. Then They haven't been, pa- they haven't yeah. been passed yet. And yeah. But I think it looks like we have a lot of support. We'll yeah. find out in the new year. Uh, we're working in partnership with some companies and with Harvard Stripes. And so it looks very positive. And once we can pass it in Boston, we'll take it across the entire country. And so seeing these palpable changes happen is what makes the negativity seem irrelevant to me. I don't like a lot of people either. It doesn't affect their lives negatively. So they don't have to like me. That's fine. We probably wouldn't get on. That's all right. Um, Social media (laughs) is also just a place where people say a lot of shit that they don't mean because they're having a bad day. And, And I've been that person who said something bad happened to me and I've gone on Twitter and then just said something vitriolic. So I just want to project it somewhere where it feels like it doesn't matter and it doesn't count, but it does. So there's a lot going on here. You are an activist. It seems like that's at the forefront mm-hmm. for you now. By a mile. Part of it being at the forefront is now um, your show, The Good mm-hmm. Place, which I didn't get into early. I think I was building the fund at that point. That's but, fair. Um, I got into it this year and I binged it like <laughs> hardcore and I love it. It's like my top Thank three you. shows of all time. Like, I love it. And because it's, you know, it's super clever and smart and all that. But it's the last season. Mm-hmm. So have you already filmed the, the ending? Yes, we you finished have. it back in August. Okay, so I'm so glad that you're soon. here to tell us what happens. Go. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a laser on me at all times yeah. and I'll be taken out as yeah. soon as I start telling you the ending. <laughs> Anywhere with windows. I'm not safe in here. Wow. My, it's specifically Mike Sher with a laser on all of us. <laughs> but it comes back in January mm-hmm. and I know where I'll be in January. But I love that that it didn't seem sad when it was announced. I mean, for me, I mean, you're on the show. But yeah. it was more like... It's this is the dignity of the show and we're not going to drag it out for 10 years. What do you it think about great. that? It was great. Well, no, it was great to I come from a country where we finish things almost too soon. Mm-hmm. Way too soon because I don't know if it's a fear of failure. Uh, I guess there's an ethos of leave or there are still people at the party, but I like that. And so it was amazing to be part of a a show that was so high concept that we very easily could have just eaten ourselves with the Mm -hmm, story. mm -hmm. You've seen it happen before when someone carries something on for too long. And I think that Mike made the integral decision to end it where he envisioned it And to know a year in advance that that was going to happen meant that we got to savor the last season. I think the thing I feel really sorry about with a lot of casts is that they don't get to know that they're doing something for the last time. So they take it for granted and then they find out months after they finish filming when it's too late and they don't see each other again. So we got to really soak it up and really got to invest uh, more so than ever probably in the show. Would you do another series like that or another like sitcom series? I do it with Mike Sher. I don't know anyone else I could think of spending that much time with. Um, he's such a great boss and he created such a special show. Yeah. So I would, I would do anything for him because he changed my life. But I don't know. These are big shoes to fill. Mm. I don't know how we pulled off what we did, but it yeah. was incredible. I mean, every um, episode, because of the nature of the show mm. and just because of the writing and everything, every episode meant something and every minute had to count Mm -hmm. in the episodes mostly because people were paying such close attention I would imagine along the way and each episode feels like a season yeah so much happens so much happens we burn through material yeah do you feel like you've changed since you started because I would imagine being on that show the life it's like life lessons but you just start to think about things I think that's like morality and and all of that did it 
change some of your worldview? I think I was already fairly aligned. I think all of us were fairly aligned already with the way that Mike Scher saw the world. Mm -hmm. And so I think we all had pretty good moral compasses and fairly decent philosophies. I think something that I really learned was that I play this insufferable, you know, weirdo Tahani. And she (laughs) is, she's ended up in the bad place because she's so obsessed with other people's opinions of her. And I think that had a really big impact on me seeing how much it navigated her life and questioning how much it was navigating mine. And that gave me the final fuck it to just stop caring and that's made me the activist that I am now. Well that's where big. I can talk to senators and world leaders and giant corporation owners and just tell them exactly what I think about what they're doing and that's never happened to me before. Hmm. So I don't know if that would have happened without me having Tahani as the example of what not to be. Yeah. I I think I would say that's huge. That's Thanks. huge. For me it was also big just to play a South Asian who wasn't being stereotyped as the typical South Asian you see in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just got to be a woman. And I actually got to be kind of a sex symbol-ish because of the way that Eleanor is uh, obsessed. So, so obsessed <laughs> with my body. Well, and so it was amazing to be seen as that rather than the typical, just the, maybe the friend or normally just the pharmacist oh, <laughs> or Uber yeah. driver. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah, doctor. So it felt cool to be in a show that wasn't about my ethnicity, but my ethnicity also wasn't hidden or made ambiguous. Yes. Yes. We had to see your parents and your sister. Oh, yeah. Of course, yeah. Everyone, if you, if I didn't convince you in the intro to watch the show, binge it now so you can catch up to the ending. And I do want to talk about kind of early on because, like as you said a little bit earlier, you've been in the spotlight in some way since you're about twenty two, twenty three. Mm-hmm. And did you want that for yourself no. early on? <laughs> Do you want it for yourself now? No. No. Um, more so now than before because I've seen what I can actually do with it. When you're just a powerless 22-year-old who was an English teacher who got offered an opportunity to go to a, an audition and then you go and you get that audition thinking you never would, you get, I got thrown into the biggest youth entertainment show on in the history of the UK, I guess. And so for teens. And I was famous within a couple of weeks of starting. Mm-hmm. I was just everywhere because we were a mainstream network. Everyone used to watch us on the weekend and there were only four of us. And it was a very kind of iconic position to jump into. And I was totally unprepared. I was mentally ill. I was, you know, I didn't have a background of entertainment. I didn't really know what fame entailed. I felt very invaded and intruded upon, but I also had never seen a thousand pounds a day. That kind of like I was a teacher. I used to earn that in a month. And so the money kept me there. And also there was a part of me that I've been an activist already for three years that felt like, oh, well, maybe I can do something with this. Yeah. Were you ever Tahani though, with all the celebrities around you at 20 something? No, although maybe I would have seemed it, but I didn't, I'd never really used to get along with that many celebrities. Like I think this is going to go badly, but fuck it. A lot of people in this industry come into this industry for reasons that lend themselves to like incomplete feelings of theirs as children there's something missing and they go to look for fame to fill that void. And that creates some really strange and interesting personalities. There's a lot of egos, a lot of narcissism. So I wouldn't say I ever really fit in that much with this industry, but I always had an ulterior, not ulterior, but a different motive, Mm. which was to try and raise awareness about the things that had messed me up as a teenager and to stop other people from having those same problems. So I was called an it girl by the industry, even though I really didn't have any personal traits other than my looks that would have lent itself to that. And I was a DJ. So really I was Jason Mendoza. Not to honey. Mm-hmm. It's just a trashy DJ. I mean, it's worse and people to be, by the way. <laughs> I didn't have his cheekbones. Yes. But, uh, other than that, I think I was mad. I've had a very confusing year, I have to tell you. <laughs> Between him and the guy in Watchmen, it's just. It's a lot. I don't know what, what, what is what. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Does that make any sense? It makes so all the it, sense. I don't mean it to sound ungrateful. There's tremendous privilege that I never had access to. I grew up super poor and uh, to be able to afford nice stuff, uh, like nice food and a safe yeah. place to live is great. Yeah. And to be able to make the change that I want, but also fame. I worry about how much kids want to be famous just to be famous because they have no idea what the downside of it oh, looks yeah. like and what kind of, how it corrupts your soul if you aren't very, very lucky. All my friends are people I met when I was a teenager and they're still my friends and they live in my house now with me. Oh, so well, that's we live it. in like a commune. <laughs> that's the secret right there. Yeah. That's and so because of grounding that, I haven't gone insane. Exactly. Yeah. And when you came out here, um, according to Wikipedia, which is law. Oh, yeah. It's law. Mm-hmm. You came out here to be a screenwriter. Yeah. And is it true that you like you just kind of showed up and like, hey, I'll be a screenwriter. And then someone just said, hey, there's a show. And you're like, oh, I'll go check out the show. And then there you are. 
It's as uncharming as that. Yeah, I wrote a screenplay. I sent it to someone that I'd met out one night and they were like, send me your thing. And you think, fuck it, this is never going to go anywhere. But you do it just in case. And she was like, I really genuinely like this idea. I'm going to send this to a manager I know. I go and get the manager. And the manager at the same time happens to be the company is producing The Good Place and they need an Indian. And I guess Aziz was busy. So... Priyanka was already on Quantico. Boom. So I was available. <laughs> Mindy was doing Ocean's 8. Yeah. Uh, oh, and so there were, no, there were none left. This is funny. So okay. I went in and I got it. <laughs> what happened to your screenwriting? Do you still do that and you still like that? I haven't had time because activism has taken over, but I, I'm now putting the idea of mine back into motion. Yeah. And now I have way more access than I had before. So it's actually easier and no one made the idea, which is great. I All these years I was like, someone else will do this and no one did. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's because it's a bad idea, but maybe it's not. You um, never know. And so, yeah, that's something that I'm going to start developing again this year. Yeah, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that happen or something that you write happen too. Thanks. Yeah, that'd be cool. So Hopefully it's less of a mess than my Twitter. <laughs> well, I mean, with writing, uh, what is it? The pen is mightier than the sword. Like with writing, you can yeah. just, you can propel so much uh, into the spotlight you can be whoever you want to be etc cetera, etc cetera. then you can and you can affect and help a lot of people too yeah. or make people laugh and that that does a lot I want to talk about for anyone who's listening who perhaps is an um, aspiring actor writer mm-hmm. something in that world the day you go on set like you know at 23 are you rolling in it like are you you million, instant millionaire no yeah so far from my story in particular is so stupid because I was so bad with money. I was never raised to understand money or credit or I didn't know anything. I really didn't know anything until maybe two years ago. So I've gone a long time without being educated about finances. It's so amazing that I learned more about igneous rock at school than I did about how to actually look after myself in the real world. This is something I feel very passionate about educating young people about next year so that they don't end up like me. Um, no, you earn good money for your age when you start. Um, and then if you're very, very lucky, the absolute 1% of the 1%, mm-hmm. <laughs> the top 1% actually start bringing in big money fast. But I reckon it takes quite a few years to build your first million. You also get taxed. You have agents, managers, lawyers fees. Uh, you have to spend a lot on your appearance to be able to go to all the fucking events that you're supposed to go to in the hopes that you'll get a job there. Uh, there's a lot of upkeep that goes into it. You also have to pay for a more expensive apartment because your security becomes more of a breach. So it's it's weirdly like not to complain at all. No, You're it's still in facts. tremendous privilege, but you have to, you spend a lot of money to maintain a lifestyle that not even the flashy side, just to be safe. Yeah. You can't take public transport anymore because you get harassed. So you have to take more expensive cabs. And so it, it does take a minute to save up. And also most of us aren't told how to look after our money. Our managers don't teach us. I wasn't told to get a financial advisor. I didn't know anything. So I lost all of my, I made loads of money in my 20s and I lost all of it by the time I was 30. I gave it all away to charity or to friends. I didn't buy an apartment. I didn't invest in anything. I just, you know, you think you're going to have it forever, especially if you're poor and then you quickly come into money. Some people like that are very smart with money and they're hopefully educated or they educate themselves. But a lot of us just be like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't deserve all this money. I need to share it with all of my friends. And that's what I did. And so I ended up broke at 30. This time around, I've wised wised up and I've um, got myself a proper business manager. But with television, it probably took me a couple of years to get to my first million. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you will that now. Because, like you said earlier, you can you know what you can do with that, and like the, and that's one of the reasons you're staying in the in the business is to kind of have that to wield. Yeah, out there. Yeah, look, it's a really fun job, and I get to meet very exciting, cool mm-hmm. people. But the main drive for all of this is because it also takes away a lot of my time and a lot of my life, a lot of my time away from my friends, acting and doing all these things. You're on set at four in the morning. You come home at seven p.m. You're absolutely dead, um, and then your weekend is spent learning lines. You become consumed, and that's still the dream, but you are giving up quite a lot. I'm doing this in no small part because I'm on a bigger mission. I was really crazy as a teenager. I was really depressed, anxious, suicidal. I had an eating disorder. I uh, was just deaf until I was 12. I was bullied because of that. I was in a wheelchair from 17 to 19 because I broke my back. Like uh, the way I was erased as a disabled person, the way I was bullied as a woman of color. Like it's just, there was so much pain that is so unnecessary And it's because we aren't educated otherwise in our society. And it's because people in the mainstream don't take enough of their platform to educate all of us. And unfortunately, for some really unknown reason, celebrities have kind of replaced religion 
Mm-hmm. They're the new deity and people hang on to their every word. So we have to try and use that sensibly. So as long as I can, I'll keep doing things that don't compromise my integrity in this industry to be able to have bigger conversations, like how to fucking protect your money. Yes. <laughs> or how to address your mental health or help someone through a gender transition, whatever yeah. it may be. We just need some fucking advice. We can't protect the kids. We can't mm-hmm. protect them. We can't stop them from seeing everything they're going to see on social media or on each other's. You can't take away their phone. Someone else will have a phone. All you can do is arm them with knowledge. And that's what I would like to try and do. I'm going to do a tahini move Go and on. name drop. Yeah, sure. When I had Ellen Pompeo on oh, the show. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, she's highest paid actress on TV? Highest paid dramatic actress. Yes. Amazing. Actor. Yes. Yeah. And she said that 20 million is 10 million. You know, 20 mm-hmm. million a year is 10 million a year. Going back to your you know, the upkeep and the this and the that. And the and I remember interviewing with Cameron Esposito and she was just saying, used, it used to be like just keeping her hair because, you know, she used to have that haircut that was like what she was known for. It was yeah. like long on one side. She was just like, honestly, just keeping that up was like most of her money. Yeah. And it was just like this part of the reason that I think she cut it. That's <laughs> why it I learned just... how to do my hair and makeup on YouTube so that I could yeah. not have to, I don't hire people to do my makeup anymore. Sometimes yeah. for something, I have no upper body strength. Sometimes my hair at this length, I can't blow dry it all the way up for a big event. I'll yeah. get someone else to do it. But generally I do all my own shit myself because I can't believe how expensive it is. Yep. Yeah. For some women, some women pay, I'd say one and a half thousand per look for the stylist and then 500 for hair and 500 for makeup. So it's two and a half thousand for a night out. And then cars, there's another two, 200 maybe. Or more, more than that. I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm an Uber X gal. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I learned my lesson in my twenties. Wow. I did all that. So shit. what do you splurge on? Food. Food. Yeah. You're, you're, you're a, eat, a foodie? I'm a f- big foodie and I eat very good quality food, food that is organic. It's not fucked with. I like it's from independent farms. And I also, I'm a meat eater. Yeah. Uh, So I have to really be careful because I'm not a vegan. I'm exposed to so many more things. I drink glass bottled water. I see. I'm a wanker. Uh, that's what we call them in England. <laughs> when it comes to food, I'm a proper wanker. I was like, I have an autoimmune problem and my health is the most important thing to me in the world. And so I'll do anything I have to, to try and be healthy. Well, this is the city, one of the cities to live in. Mm-hmm. If you're uh, particular about your food intake. My business manager said they'd never seen someone spend so much money on food in their lives. Do you I don't spend on clothes. I've been wearing this tracksuit every day for a week. That's why it looks like it's got cum all over it. It doesn't have cum. It's not cum, it's just food. <laughs> But it looks like, <laughs> I'm sorry, do you want me to leave? <laughs> it's just different types of yogurt wow. and stuff. So mom, um, sorry. go in the kitchen. and <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, well, yeah, I'm wearing sweats too. Um, Clean sweats though. I, I was going to say it, but I can't even, I used to have this blog called Your Daily, Daily Lesbian Moment and it was all in my 20s. All right. And I would just say all kinds of stuff. And I just stopped myself from saying a word because I guess I'm older now. I don't know what's going on. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. What do you mean? You've become proper? I don't like it. It's You don't like the words? Yeah, I don't like be- being more pro- like. Oh, you proper. don't like being more prudish. It, it also yeah. has to do with like more people are paying attention, you know. Oh, yeah. To what I'm saying. So. I know. I just can't filter myself at this point because all your lies, to... all your truth is coming out. It's yeah. all on the internet. Yeah. All my shit is all over the internet. It's all coming up. It's coming out. Yeah. So I may as well just be myself anyway. This episode is brought to you by me, Arlen, the host. And I'm going to use this time to promote my book, It's About Damn Time, which is now available in pre-order. It comes out May 5th, 2020. You can order it now at prh.com slash it's about damn time. Thanks. Talk to me about cancel culture. Cancel culture. Well, cancel culture is great in some ways. I think the intention of it was brilliant. It was to sort of drain the swamp, as they say, Mm. and uh, get rid of the people who've done irrevocable harm. But I think it's become diluted and now it gets used for every single person who does a single thing that you don't like or maybe did a thing that you don't like Mm. 12 years ago Mm. uh, before the world had updated and so I think that cancel culture is an amazing idea but I think that it's being misused and I think it's going to harm us really badly because I think that cancelling someone who hasn't done irrevocable harm who could well turn around and be educated and educate themselves and do better and actually someone who's got a lot of power who could do great good with that power Mm. to cancel them forever 
is to devalue progress. And I think it'll stop people from thinking there's any point in trying to be better if you're cancelled forever anyway. Yeah. And people are afraid to apologise because of the way we shit on people when they apologise. And people are afraid to put their hands up and say they don't know because of the way we shit on people for ignorance that we ourselves definitely have. There's just a lot of moral superiority that has made cancel culture this sort of epidemic rather than this really useful tool to get rid of the harmful people. Yeah, I agree with you mostly. And I think a good example for me is like a back with like a Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. There was always like a couple of years ago, all of these different people were like canceling Taylor for Taylor different Swift's reasons. leaving party. Yeah, it was yeah. a lot of that. And like, I think she's like grown. She's grown up a lot mm-hmm. and she's learned a lot. And I think she has so much power and for her to kind of stand up to certain things politically has been really refreshing. And there are very few people who can get a stadium full of the people she can get in one room. It just kind of, that's one example. Um, the other flip side of it is, there are some people who I feel like should have been canceled who are just out there just a singing and a dancing. I won't name any names right now, but I'll do it on my Twitter because I don't want to associate you with anything. But there are a lot of people who, you know, for instance, hit women or yeah. um, do things I like that. I consider that to be irrevocable harm, though. I think yeah. when you leave someone with PTSD of some sort, like Harvey Weinstein, cancel that motherfucker. Get him out of here. Yeah. Uh, R. Kelly like um, bye (laughs) yeah exactly there are are plenty of people who have done things that are so reprehensible there's no amount of apologising or educating that can ever like really there's no way for them to even begin to atone Mm -hmm. how do you atone for traumatising someone or beating up a woman or all these different Mm -hmm. things I think that that's where cancel culture like I said was very handy those people have done what I consider to be irrevocable harm Mm -hmm. but when you go on Twitter you go somewhere say something in an interview and you say a sentence that was wrong to say hurt some people, but you didn't really know you were hurting anybody. Yeah. And you apologize for it. It's six hours later. You've already been canceled. I get canceled every 15 yeah. minutes. It also You're probably canceled like, right now. Uh, yeah, probably. Right yeah. Some Harvey Weinstein stan. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's like, you are canceled. Yes. Um, what, what, what was my recent, like, I had a real fuck up. I don't very often have a real fuck up where it's just completely my fault, but sometimes I do. Yeah. Um, this was really embarrassing. It happened like a couple of weeks ago. Maybe we spoke about it. It was during my abortion kind of rant. Because yeah. I, you know, I'm very pro-abortion, very pro-choice. Mm-hmm. And um, I've had one before and I'm very, very unapologetic about it because it was the best thing for me to do and said what I fucking said. Mm-hmm. But I got carried away during my whole ranting because I was being you get an abortion you get an abortion not that. no 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 okay. no. <laughs> no but like you know I had like Candace Owens and all these like like crazy um, religious not that all religious people are crazy but these people were using religion as a way to attack me and tell yeah. me that I was going to hell and I was a murderer and I was a Nazi and I was this that and the other just for having made a choice for myself as a mentally ill young person who wasn't ready financially or emotionally to have a baby and I was trying to make the point that a woman doesn't even have as many rights over her uterus as a landowner does over their land mm-hmm. so I was like when it comes to abortion the choice is for the landlord not the tenant and nor the, not the neighbour And that just turned into a whole thing that Mm -hmm. I didn't accept because technically what I said is correct. Mm -hmm. And I was just trying to make the point that we don't have as many rights. But people took that as me saying land landlords are the best. (laughs) Fuck tenants. Yeah. And uh, it became it became a fight about capitalism. And people just cancelled me for this one analogy that was fair enough. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't a great analogy, but. I was just trying to say something about abortion and it got turned into an argument about I capitalism. Mean, for someone who's been cancelled so many times, you have had many reboots. I mean, you're yeah, here. Because it doesn't work. Yeah. Harvey Weinstein's at like a dinner with some blondes right now. Mm, I hope he's not. Actually, no, he, he looked is. pretty frail. We he? saw him at that party like recently he's when that stand-up party? comic had to get up and like talk about how disgusting it is that he was uh, there and he was yeah. surrounded by young blonde women. Yeah. Like, the cancellation doesn't work. Chris Brown is still singing. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Like all these people, they're still, you know, you have all these actors. I think Casey Affleck or something, you know, he still continued to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emil Hirsch, he continued to work after he strangled one of my best friends in oh. front of so many witnesses and got jailed for like 15 days. And then we had it expunged from his record and continued to make movies within months of that happening. Is that public knowledge? Yeah. Okay. Just want to make sure. I'm, I'm out here trying to be your financial guide and your uh, legal. No, 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 no. That's, yes. that's, yeah, that's, my a, God. that's all out there. My God. Yeah, yeah. It's like, if you Google him, you'll see my face. I, I went. In. Oh, you went ham. Yeah. Okay. I yeah, should have well, known. Yeah. Well, yeah. you got cast in Once Upon a Time in, um, in Hollywood or whatever that. Oh Quentin yeah, you sure did. Film. Yeah. You sure did. And I was just a bit like, oh, all the other people in this film wore their fucking Time's Up pins and wore all black to the Golden Globes. Like, why are they with someone who never apologized to my friend for what he did, never paid for her therapy? Mm-hmm. 
And so, yeah. Yeah. You I'm know, a crazy I st- person. What I started noticing. <laughs> I say everything on Twitter. Yeah. I've no longer like made celebrities heroes. You know, you say you shouldn't meet your heroes and you shouldn't. Yeah. Because I know that we like I certainly have a lot of faults and I don't know who can live up to no. that. Who can live up to that? I mean, this is separate from someone going out of their way to, to hurt someone. But just in general, kind of going back in that middle ground of cancel culture. You have to be a god. Yeah. They treat you like a god and then you have to be a god. You can't be a god. None of us are gods. We're all just fallible, learning individuals with our own trauma and our own misinformation and Mm -hmm. our own internalized misogyny and all this other shit. You know, we're all, we all have so much to unlearn and we do it the most to women. Look at what's happening with Lizzo right now. We take a woman, she does something amazing and then we go, she's a god. She's perfect. She's our savior. She's the one who came here to cleanse all of us. We love her. She's amazing. And then she makes one mistake, gets her fucking perfectly innocent butt cheeks out at a Lakers game. And yeah. suddenly then the onslaught changes. It's like, we hate her music. She's the white woman's this, that and the other. She's she's evil. She's yeah. awful. She's she's corrupting the children. She's making everyone obese. Like, you know, we start dragging her. We do this to all women. So for me, now that I'm kind of on the cancelled every day kind of list, it's I expected this. I've been in this business a long time. I've watched a lot of women come and go. And we build them up, build them up, build them up. But the last, all of last year, I was hailed as like, the voice of my generation or like, you know, the feminist we need right now. And I was watching it being like, this is fucking dangerous. This is what I asked for. I never said this about myself. And every single thing I said or tweeted became news. And people thought that I was like, what am I sending my tweets to the newspaper? I'm not. I'm just tweeting. That's what tweeting is, isn't it? And it became news and everything became a headline. And it was like I was being flogged. People were being flogged with my stupid face. And I knew (laughs) that that was a build up to an inevitable drag down where then it's think pieces and hit pieces mm-hmm. and and people digging into my past to underestimate my work it's mm. a it's such a cliche pattern jennifer lawrence everyone was like oh she's so funny and relatable and then a year afterwards they're like oh she's so, trying to be so funny and relatable yeah, all the time exactly. you know so i'm even seeing it was like cycle. lena waith yes oh and my like, god like i've seen it slim people well, like even, the yeah even before even a little bit before and i started to see oh, it, i was really? like oh man I mean, she can do no wrong. She can do no wrong. She can do no wrong. She's a savior and for then, black women, for boom, queer boom, 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 women, boom, boom. for everything. Yeah. I like her style because, you know, I like many styles. One mm. is hers, which is she kind of stays out of it. She kind of like, you don't see her out too much unless it's about her stuff. I you agree. Yeah. I agree. She keeps it very clean and I think she's very cool and dignified. And I, I loved the way that she responded to critics. She was just like, I hear you. Let's talk about this together rather mm-hmm. than talking about it on Twitter, mm-hmm. which I would totally make the mistake of doing. Yeah. Lena invites someone into a conversation, has that in private. I think she's just got so much dignity yeah. and she's so classy and cool. But it, it is inevitable. It's the it's the cycle. We do it to everyone. And this is all like, this is all smoke and mirrors anyway. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I live in LA, kind of see it. It's just all kind of, it's all fake. All of it. It's all nonsense. Yeah, it really is. But it's yeah. entertaining. Yeah. It's bringing people some joy at some point in, in, a, rough, in a really rough time. So I, I appreciate that part of it. Yeah, I love the the entertainment industry. Oh, for sure. I love the entertainment industry. I just think we need to stop lying. I think we need to have more transparency. And I think those of us with power in the industry just need to do more to use our platform for some sort of education. Mm -hmm. We can't be complicit in the lies. We can't sell people stuff that's bad for them. We can't sell people false information. We have to do better. Yeah. I'm a product of bad role models. You know who you would probably love if you haven't already listened to? Have you listened to the Dolly Parton Dolly Parton's no. America podcast. No. It just came out like this fall and, right. and it's ending now. And it, it has interviews with her, very candid interviews with her because the host's father is one of her doctors. So oh, they have cool. that kind of intimate thing. But it's like a, it's about her world. And it's so interesting because at first I thought it was going to be, okay, it's just about how she became, you know, Dolly Parton. Mm-hmm. But it's more about, it talk, delves into things like, you remember at the the Emmys where she kind of stayed kind of quiet when when um, Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin were mm-hmm. talking about Trump, and she was just like, "I just want everybody to get along." And uh, and one of the things she said because a lot of people lost some faith in her because she wasn't speaking against Trump. One of the things she said was, "You know, we should pray for him and that sort of thing." But then you start to learn in this in this series, she said something like, "When you know better, you do better," mm-hmm. and so. She has kind of the weight of the world on her shoulders when mm-hmm. it comes to what her audience is and what she can say out loud and not alienate them and make them feel bad. But even she in her, what, 70s or 80s, mm-hmm. even she is saying, when you know better, you do better. So this is why we took the word Dixie out of our 
title of our show, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just really, um, really compelling every episode. It's like eight episodes. I think that's really important. I think that we're in this really bizarre and unhelpful political climate where the way that we talk about each other on opposite sides is just so unhelpful and so dangerous. You know, the way that the right talk about the left as these sort of like idiotic liberal snowflakes mm-hmm. and the way that the left talk about all Trump supporters and all conservatives as if they all actively want children in cages in the border and they all are hateful, dangerous, evil people. I understand the frustration with anyone who can support someone who has such dangerous policies in mind, but they're not all evil or stupid. On either side, mm-hmm. the way that we've started to talk to each other is just not going to invite any kind of conversation. Say we just abuse each other, and that's what we're seeing more and more of. So you know, I am someone who is I'm a liberal. I am a liberal. I don't. I try not to bring my politics into my Twitter too much. I'll mm-hmm. talk about social politics all the time or specific political things. Who are you that, voting for? I mean, I'm. It's kind of a joke. But I'm from England, so I'm not voting for anyone. But you can't vote here. I can't vote here after no. all the so work you've done for our country. <laughs> well, I don't involve myself in American politics. I don't have enough of a background. I do know that, like I said, I'm a liberal. I'm I'm on the left. Um, but I, uh, with my own country, I was I was pro Labour because. I don't believe in the conservative values. I don't think they are for the people. I was very upset to see the outcome of the vote. But, you know, also I don't shit on the people who voted for the conservatives because I also understand that they didn't trust the left to be organised. The left aren't organised, not here and not in England. We keep nitpicking each other and fighting. There's a lot of competition, there's a lot of infighting on the left. And so therefore they look unstable. And that's what makes people sometimes vote for the right. It's not because they love all of Trump's policies. Sometimes it's just because they don't think that the left can get their shit together. We do need to be better. In 2020, we need to come together more. We need to stop competing with the oppression Olympics. We need to hold each other up, really hold each other up, not leave out disabled people, not leave out trans women, not leave out black women. You know, there's just, I I definitely feel a lot of frustration. And because there's so much for me still to learn, I try not to get too politically engaged on Twitter, but I definitely make my feelings known on things like abortion or trans rights. Yes. Because you say one thing and it can, it sends waves through. If I get it wrong, I misinform. How many people are on my platform now? I've got 2.6 million on Instagram, 1.1 million almost on iWay and 1 million on Twitter. So that's 4.6 million people I could misinform if I get this wrong. And I don't think nutritional advice or political advice should come from anyone who doesn't really know what they're talking about. I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. I have a vision. Like I had a vision. And it's not like a vision like, you know, I play with crystals or anything. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But it was like sometimes I get these flashes. Mm -hmm. I had them when I was starting the fund and they came true. And I see you being, I think your next act is is definitely movies. Do you have any interest in that? Yeah. I think movies are the thing that I'm next interested in or creating my own content. What I'm doing is I'm launching our way into a mini company just so that we have, we can afford staff to be able to put out more content. We have such a hunger for content from young people around the world that we want to be able to put out more and learn more and uh, involve ourselves in the education system and start creating syllabuses for eating disorder clinics or for mental health programs or for just generally schools, for middle school, for high school, for universities. And so we're starting a content-based educational platform where we will use all of the ways in which we educate people to then rally support for lobbying and for bills and for being able to move progressive laws forward that help marginalized people. Do you have a team? I do have a team now and I pay everyone's salaries myself. I am self-funded and that's scary. And I wake up having panic attacks in the middle of the night. Really? All the time. Yeah. Why do you do that? Just because you have to or just... Because I don't want to be told what to do by anyone else ever again. I've been in business before and I've been in business with men and not to say that all men are bad. They certainly aren't. I'm saying it. All men are bad. uh, But I um, (laughs) have been sexually harassed at work. I've been told what to do. I've had people not believe in the women that I want to hire because they're not experienced, but therefore women never get onto the ladder because people will just always choose who they already know. And I want to hire almost predominantly, I'd say femmes, the people I'm interested in finding. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll hire anyone brilliant at the job, but I have a particular focus on women and women of color um, and femmes. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when she says femmes, I think she means women, women, trans it, women, non-binary yes. femmes. If you're if you're just a, uh, an older gay like myself, you might think that you want only feminine women. 
you yes. say femmes because you say dykes and oh, right. butch and this. Got and that. it. I know it's a landfill. No, I apologize. <laughs> well, I'm Don't just trying to. to say. Well, that but that's. Uh, it, I just want anyone who identifies as a woman to come work with me. Yeah, <laughs> and that so sounds like a fun. I want to put people on the ladder gig. who haven't had a chance before, and so people sometimes who are inexperienced or who are afraid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to create a safe environment in which we can all teach mm-hmm. each other. Because otherwise, how are we ever going to get in? Like men are becoming increasingly afraid to hire women because they're afraid they're going to be accused of something. Um, yeah. And so in that case, we need more women at the top. Yeah. And so I would, I would like to help build those women up. When you go into negotiations these days for things, acting, other stuff, mm-hmm. do you feel much more equipped Yeah. in those negotiations? Yeah, I feel the strongest I've ever felt. I also have a, a big, straight, white boyfriend and I've watched the way that he operates in this world and how different it was to how I did mm-hmm. in the beginning and the way that he talks about what he wants and and says when he doesn't like something. And I learned a lot from him. And so I've sort of learned how to almost imitate white male privilege, oh, which has I, been amazing. I'm telling you, I have something called augmented privilege. Mm-hmm. He says augmented reality. I have been siphoning privilege for the past four years. Right. And that's how I have my fund. Yeah. I just look at across the table See the mediocre guy, not to say that your boyfriend's mediocre in any way, but the, the mediocre guy across the table. And I just say, oh, God, they're asking for everything and they're getting it. But that's just it, is that most of us, if we ask, we might actually get it. That's yeah. why we're discouraged from asking. We're told not to ask because they know that we'll probably fucking get it. Yeah. So that's why I never asked for anything. I should have just treated, you know, like behave as though I was lucky to be in any room that yeah. I was in and and thank you and yes, please. And jump how high how many times I, I didn't know that I had a right to say no yeah. I didn't know I had a right to say more mm-hmm. that's um, what Nicki Minaj said she said if she had settled for the pickle juice at the photo shoot that she had was given once and didn't walk out and say F y'all she would have still been drinking pickle juice today mm-hmm. exactly and that woman is a fucking boss oh my yeah. god I've seen her behind the scenes you know when I used to be a TV host and she just for whatever anyone else might say about her Nicki Minaj runs all of her business mm-hmm. herself. Mm-hmm. You don't really have to be afraid to curse. I'm, huh? I know I've made a, made you a little bit no, worried no, about cursing. No, 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 not at all. I think I've dropped a lot of fucks. Um, I'm just trying to make sure that I speak as respectfully about Ms. Minaj, Ms. Minaj. as possible because I'm afraid of her because <laughs> she's such a boss. Have you ever, have you ever worked with uh, Cardi? I haven't ever worked with Cardi. No, yeah. people think I don't like Cardi because I had a go at her for selling those diet and detox teas. Oh. I don't. I have take objection to some of the things she said about trans people in the past. Mm. I've, you know, I think that she said some really problematic things. But I don't hate Cardi B. I just didn't want her to sell laxatives, and I don't want her to say things that are reckless about people who are transgender. That's very fair. I think that's fair. I yeah. don't want to cancel Cardi B. I just wanted to use her massive following to do the good things that she does, mm. which is make people laugh or make people think. And she's also good at explaining politics. She really her, is. To her viewers. She and really her followers. is. And she's passionate she's about that. Yeah. She's very passionate about that. Yeah. I think she's I think she's really smart. Yeah. I really do. Which is why if you know better, you do better. Yeah. And you want her to know better when it I comes just to like, certain I'll, things. Just like I have to do better, we all do. Yeah. I don't want to cancel the Kardashians. I just want them to stop selling laxatives to children and then I will get off their dick. Mm, fair enough. <laughs> I'll jump right off can, that dick. Can you, <laughs> can you be my co-host for the rest of the season? <laughs> yeah, I'm, you have nothing else going Your on. Do you stop just, listening. <laughs> yeah, my mom, she's already gone. She's already, she's in a car right now. She's cancelled us. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to get a text where my mom's going to say, cancelled. Yeah, but I'm English. Doesn't it sound so charming in my English? It really <laughs> does. It really does. Um, That's why, I mean, 20 minutes ago, you would have been out of here, but the accent... Doesn't. So any last advice about people who are a little worried to ask for what they want when it comes to money? We're all allowed to ask and no one's ever going to just give it to you. Yeah. No one is ever going to give you something when they could keep it for themselves. You have to ask for it. And you have to do that being while being polite and professional. But there's nothing wrong with asking. And if you ask, you are so much more likely to get and then if you don't, I ask men how much they earn when they're doing the same job as me. I don't think that should be taboo. I think the fact that that's been made taboo is a way of keeping us away from transparency. So I believe in that transparency and I don't think it's a rude question. I wouldn't ask Ted Danson what he earns, but I did ask my male co-hosts who are on the same level as me. Yeah, exactly. There's a difference there. There is a difference. Where he's been on TV for 40 years. That's none of my fucking business. Mm-hmm. But to people who are all at the same place on a call sheet as me, that is my business. I need to make sure that I'm being paid fairly. And I was because Mike Sher is the best. Um, yeah. But I also, when a TV show now wants to 
get me at a lower price, I say no. And I've some, I've walked away once three times from a job I really wanted just because I was fighting for the principle of it. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. Sometimes you have to be, if you are in the luxury, if you were a single mother of four, I understand you do not have the luxury of like some actress being like, and I walked away from this show. So you should walk (laughs) away from your jobs. I'm not an idiot. I'm aware that sometimes we don't have a choice, but if you feel like there is any wiggle room and that you are safe and able to look after yourself, if you are willing to walk away, do it. If you are in that situation, do it. Because sometimes you have to know your own worth for other people to realize it. And if you have a little bit of risk, even if it is more of a risk than that, that's when things can really change for you like it it has for so many people we've talked mm-hmm. to. And, I've, and if you've heard earlier episodes, you've heard me talk about my speaking fee and how I, I kind of negotiated that. But that was a little bit of a risk in the way I did it. Yeah. Wonderful. I could talk to you for hours, but I'm, I don't want to kidnap you here. Thank you so much for being on your first million. Thanks. Are you someone who owns a company, you have employees? Pay attention. Don't skip ahead. This is going to be very helpful to you. I have a few companies. One of them is a company that has two to four employees. And another one is a company that has anywhere from eight to 40 at any given time. And I know many other companies who are much bigger or same range who use Gusto. So for those two companies, we use Gusto to manage our payroll. And let me tell you something. I love Gusto. I've used more than one type of payroll company, and I can tell you that Gusto is like the most, at least in my experience, has been the most hassle-free of all of them. And I love the way that they interact with us. Like they treat us like humans. It's very simple how they get things across when they're talking about very complex issues. So you don't have to like have a degree and anything special to be able to read their emails and their and their instructions. I have a referral link. So and I've uh, worked with Gusto's marketing team that I can offer this referral link to you on this podcast. So check it out. It's gusto.com slash E, the letter E like Ellen slash Arlen, A-R-L-A-N 15, one five. So again, that's gusto, G-U-S-T-O dot com slash E slash Arlen 15, the number 15. If you go to that link and you sign up before January 31st of 2020 and you run a payroll, you will get a $200 Amazon gift card and um, your life will be a little bit easier. Let me just say I have used Gusto for months in 2019, having switched over from another brand. So whether you're a two-person team or a 2,000-person team, I would get in touch and uh, check it out. Hey, it's Arlen. Thanks for listening to this episode. So I would love to keep up with you online. You can find me at Arlen Was Here on Instagram and on Twitter. That's A-R-L-A-N Was Here. I cannot wait to continue this conversation with you. You can also pre-order my first book. It's called It's About Damn Time. You can pre-order it at your local indie bookstore. Please do that. Feel free. And online where books are sold, where, where, where great books are sold, if you want to go to a specific link, you can go to prh.com slash it's about damn time all together. No, no spaces, no slashes, nothing. So prh.com slash it's about damn time. And it'll give you a list of places you can pre-order the book and Pre-ordering is huge. The more pre-orders the bookstores see, the more copies they will order and potentially more copies that will get sold and exposed and seen. If you're thinking about getting the book, but you're going to wait until after it comes out, I encourage you to pre-order it. May 5th, 2020 is the actual date. So you have plenty of time to grab it, but try to do it between now and then. All right. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next time.